So I'm excited to open the book of Mark with you again. If you're new with us, uh, we are in the series, The Unexpected Jesus, Missing the Messiah. And you might go, why? Like, what's, what's going on? It looks like a war. And, um, and the point is that uh, Israel was expecting a Messiah king who would come in and defeat the evil uh, uh, leadership of the Roman occupation in their context. And so they were expecting this, but Jesus came in a very different way to defeat an entirely different enemy, an enemy that we call sin, an enemy uh, called Satan, and to really set people free in a much more profound way. And because Jesus came in a different way than they expected and did things differently than they expected, uh, he is the unexpected Jesus. He is the unexpected Savior of the world. And a lot of them missed him. And uh, Mark's gospel in particular tells that narrative of people missing him. Uh, it seems like the only people who really get him are the demons. And then at the very end, the Roman centurion soldier who's standing next to the cross as Jesus breathes, breathes his last breath and he clearly sees this must be the Son of God. And so that's kind of the narrative of Mark. We opened it up last week. I'm going to continue in it this week. We're in chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 16. I, I would love it if you had your Bibles. Um, the reason why, we'll have Scripture on the screen, but I, I think it's really good to get your nose in your Bible, whether it's on an app or like mine in paper form. Uh, if you don't have one, we have them at the door. When you come in, you're welcome to leave with one. If you don't have one, feel free to take it. We want everyone to have a Bible. And uh, I'm hoping that your section, which isn't that big, but the section that's called the Gospel of Mark will be worn for you over the next few months because I want you in it. I want you reading it. In fact, even read ahead if you want and prepare for the next week. You'll, you know where we're going because you know where I ended. So you can just study that throughout the week and prepare. But I really want us to have a great sense of understanding of this gospel together. The group of passages that we're going to look at today are preceded by the verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 15, and I know some of you are going like, obviously, Jeff, if you're starting in 16, 15 comes before 16, but I want to pull you back to it because I want to make sure we hear Jesus' words when he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What Mark wants to show us is that Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is, is here, wherever he's at. That's where you're going to get, get to experience it. You get to experience God's rule and reign breaking into the world. You get to start to see what God's rule and reign in the world looks like in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the response to that is that things change. Wherever Jesus shows up, something changes. Wherever he speaks, people change. There's this expectation that the kingdom of God doesn't just let things be, but it calls them to change. In fact, the, the statement, repent and believe, is really, in some ways, the action statement of the entire book of Mark. It's to say, you, whatever you were looking to, whatever you were entrusting in, whatever you were hoping for, if it isn't ultimately in Jesus Christ, then you need to turn from it to him so that you can be delivered from whatever it was that was probably destroying your life. Because anytime you look to something else to be God for you, to bring what only God can bring to you, to do what only God can do in you, then what will happen is you'll always be left wanting. It will not be or do what you need it to be or do, and only Jesus can. And so the idea of repent is Turn from whatever it was you were looking to and turn to Jesus who brings the rule and reign of God into your life and changes things. So repent and believe in him and then what it will produce will be change. And that's what today is all about. I've titled the message The Unexpected Change because when you meet Jesus, you find that he changes everything. Jesus changes everything for us. And so as we look at what we talked about last week, remember what Mark is doing is he's saying, look at who Jesus is and look at what Jesus does. Last week we heard that Jesus, the very name means God is our salvation. He's also the Messiah, the anointed one, which means he's bringing in the true rule and reign of God into the world. And he is the true son of God, the better Israel uh, that really displays what God is really like and can bring about a new reality for all of us who put our faith in him as we become a part of this new family that God is building. 
And so last week we talked about how he identified with us in his baptism, overcame Satan in his temptation, doing for us what we can't do, which is overcome evil on our own. We need Jesus to do it for us. We need Jesus to do it in us. And so it's really good news, and this really good news of Jesus' rule and reign demands change. It demands a response. In fact, what we're going to look at today is that those who follow Jesus will be changed by Jesus, will be freed by Jesus, and will ultimately be set free to serve Jesus. So let's start with follow Jesus and be changed. Look at verse 16 with me. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, remember that word is in this gospel 42 times, immediately, Mark is the fast-paced gospel moving you along. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So two groups of fishermen, the one probably not nearly as wealthy as the second one because the second one has a boat and servants helping them. But in both cases, Jesus calls them to follow him. And what's important to note, first of all, is that Jesus is doing something that rabbis didn't do in that day. Rabbis didn't walk around and go find people and tell them to follow you and and then take you on a journey. Rabbis were a part of rabbinical schools, and if you wanted to be in one, you had to basically go to the school, apply, get accepted, and then you'd be trained and taught by that rabbi. So what Jesus is doing already is pretty radical because he's not, he's not putting up a school and inviting people to show up. He's showing up in their life and inviting them to follow him. He's calling them into following Jesus. And that's the other thing that you need to recognize. Not only is he showing up and calling them, but he's calling them to follow him. Uh, rabbis of the day, their, their call was not rooted in follow me. It was called, called to study the Torah together. Let's look at what the first five books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that were delivered to us by Moses, have to say about life, and let's study them together. And so the rabbi would say, certainly, come follow me and I'll teach you, but it wasn't follow me, it was follow the Torah. Let's look at what the word says. And so Jesus is pretty significant in this call and Mark is making a very clear distinction here that Mark is not particularly saying, come follow my teaching, but rather come follow me. And that, that's a very distinct difference for Jesus. And that's why actually already for, for some people, they would hear that and go, okay, I, don't, I can't follow him. Like this is a different call. This is not come study the Torah with me. This is come study me. Come see me. Come know me. And what's really interesting is not only is it follow me, but he says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. So Jesus isn't saying, follow me, try to be like me, strive harder to live like me. He's saying, follow me and I will change you. That's a real huge difference. In fact, a lot of people still think Religion, Christianity is about you trying to be like God, you striving to be a good person, you doing good works with your own strength and power, but Jesus is fundamentally starting off saying the good news of the kingdom is that when you follow Jesus, he changes you. He changes your life. He's not saying fix yourself so you can come to me. He's saying come to me so I can fix you. I'm here to change your life. And this hasn't changed. I want to make sure we hear this clearly Jesus is not calling you today to work hard to become a good person. He's not calling you to be good so God will love you. He's calling you to a God who loves you and wants to make you good, who wants to change your life with his power, with his strength, with his presence in your life. And I love the fact that there's no entrance exam to the rabbinical school of Jesus. He doesn't say like, hey, you've got to pass the test you got to measure up. you got to know the Torah really well. You know, there's none of that in this whatsoever. In fact, most people are like, why in the world do these guys follow him? What, what, on what basis would you follow Jesus? And we'll get to that in a bit. It's connected to who Jesus is. But I love this. The only re prerequisite 
to entrance into the rabbinical school of Jesus is repent and believe. Turn from whatever it was you were looking at and turn to Jesus. And trust your life into his hands. And here's what Mark wants us to understand is what they needed to get, what they needed to learn, could only be acquired by being with Jesus. There's an a old, older writing about the life of a Christian, and the one thing that I, that's stated over and over again in this writing is, give them Jesus. Just give them Jesus. Because what you need is Jesus. And that, let me be clear. You don't even need more knowledge about Jesus. You need Jesus. See, see what Mark is going to do, which is really interesting, is Mark is not going to spend a bunch of his time talking about every single detail of Jesus' lineage and every single detail about Jesus' teaching they will be in there, but it's even interesting when we get to it, Jesus even tells them, my teaching is done in such a way that they don't even get it, and that's on purpose. And what he's trying to make us not miss throughout the book, throughout the gospel, throughout the narrative, Mark is trying to say, if you don't get Jesus, you don't get Jesus. In other words, if you don't get the person of Jesus, you don't get the Knowledge of who he is. You don't understand what he's about. You actually have to get Jesus before you can get Jesus. In other words, there's a a step of faith that is an act of belief before you receive the content of the belief. In fact, there's a lot of you going like, I need to just wait till I find out every single thing I can figure out about Jesus and then I'll believe. You're going to miss Jesus because you're not going to actually get to know Jesus unless you get Jesus. You, don't, you won't make sense out of Jesus unless you actually get him because what Mark wants us to understand is only as Jesus is followed, only as he is trusted, can he be known. See, what he's saying is the faith of follow precedes the faith of knowledge. And I know that's weird in a context where we're like, no, no, I need to know everything before I trust him. But here's the deal. Have any of you ever truly understand or stood how God could become flesh and dwell amongst us? I mean, have you ever just like pondered that and go like, oh yeah, I get that, I know how it works. Scientifically, I can see how that would make sense. No way! Just that alone, you have to believe, is a miracle that you can't comprehend. And if you go, I can't get past that, then you will not get Jesus. You will miss the Messiah if you think you have to master the Messiah before you believe in the Messiah. The point of Jesus is you don't get to master him, he masters you. He changes you. But you've got to believe You've got to follow him. In some ways, what we're going to see later is that Jesus is calling us to a mustard seed faith in him. That's going to come in a few weeks, the mustard seed faith. But in other words, what, he's, what Mark wants us to say is you just got to start with the faith of follow. You got to start with the faith of trust. You got to start with the ability to say, Jesus, you stand out above everyone else. So I'm going to trust you. And as I do, will you show yourself to me? Will you teach me? Will you show me what it looks like? In other words, Mark wants us to understand that faith in Jesus is prerequisite to greater illumination of who he really is. And those who will not follow him will never know him. You have to follow him to know him. You have to put trust in him to ultimately receive knowledge of him in your hearts. And what I love about Jesus is he doesn't, he doesn't start, say, prerequisite, know the Torah, come to school, apply, I'll accept you. But where does he start? At the sea with a bunch of fishermen who are uneducated. And later on, when, it's, when you talk about them, when you hear about them and the ministry they do, what, what, what we hear is, these were not educated men, but we took note that they had been with Jesus. That's the point. They had been with Jesus, and that changed everything. And, and I, I love this, because Jesus doesn't pull himself out of society and say, come to me. He enters into the world. He goes to the fisherman. He goes to the sea. Eventually, he's going to go to the tax collector, Matthew. He's going to go to you. And what I want you to hear is he is pursuing us. He, He is coming to get you. He is calling you to follow him. And he enters into the normal, everyday stuff of life. He enters into your mess. He enters into your chaos. He enters into your work, into your home, into your dorm room, into your classroom, into your, into your, your, your house, into your neighborhood. That's how he works. And I hope that gives you great encouragement because you don't have to come here. Jesus is going where you're at. I mean, I'm glad that you gather. Please keep gathering. Not because I need it, but because you do. 
You need to be reminded of what he's doing all week long. You need to have your eyes opened up so you don't go to work and miss him. You need to realize he's where you're at, wherever you're at, pursuing you and pursuing others. Like He cares about where you spend a third of your life. Just know that. I want you to hear that, docs. In fact, if I could encourage you, please know that what we're going to see where Jesus shows up is at the fisherman's workplace. He shows up later on in the home of the people he's calling to follow him. He's involved in work. He's involved in family life. He's involved in your neighborhood. He cares about all of that. And we don't want to miss it. And he wants to be a part of it with you. But yet, here's the key. He does call you to make him priority. Top priority. Notice what happens. They leave their nets. They leave their family to follow Jesus. Now, some of you are freaking out. You're going to go, it's going to be a cult. I can see where we're going already. (laughs) Just so you know, they go back to work and they go to family. Like, They don't leave them permanently, but what we see is a definitive decision in this moment that following Jesus requires making him the top priority of your life. In other words, I don't have a plan B. I don't have another option. I don't have someone else I'm going to look to that's going to save me, rescue me, change me, give me an identity, give me a sense of significance. Jesus is it. He's top priority. In fact, Tim Keller in his book about Mark, which I I definitely recommend you guys, and it's in the resources that we're sending out to you, um, he says this. He says, what, what Jesus wants to make sure we understand is there is no ifs in this followership. Like, a lot of us go like, Jesus, I'll follow you if you make my career better, or I'll follow you if you make me financially, you know, sustainable, and, you know, maybe be able to be kind of financially free, or I'll follow you if I meet that, that, that spouse that I want to marry, or I'll follow you if you clean up this mess, or I'll, whatever. And what Tim says, he says, the follow I'll follow you if is you saying there's another God that I need to please first and once we're settled with that, then you're next. In other words, Jesus, you're a means to my idolatry instead of you are the end of my faith. You are the goal. You are the hope. It's not a I'll follow you if. It's I will follow you. And then whatever you want to do with me, I trust because you're the giver of life. You're you're the sustainer of life. You're the forgiver of sins. You're the the rescuer of humanity. I don't want to look anywhere else. I'm looking to you. I'm repenting and believing the kingdom of God has come in Christ Jesus. I don't have another option. You're not second. You're top priority. I will leave whatever you call me to leave. I'll drop whatever you call me to drop. I will pursue whatever you want to pursue because you are first, Jesus. Yeah, we could clap about that. I hope that's your heart. And what I love is Mark uses this, make sure we don't miss the imagery of the net. So we're going, Jeff's using objects now. (laughs) But I, I don't want you to miss this. Throughout the Old Testament, the imagery of water carried with it in the very beginning, Genesis 1, 3, the idea of chaos. Remember, in the beginning, the earth was formless without void and there was this, the waters, the spirit was hovering over and it was, it was chaos. It was not ordered. And the spirit brought order in creation. And the waters were a reminder of chaos. It's interesting that Jesus in his baptism has the same very experience. We talked about last week that the spirit is hovering on Jesus as he comes out of the waters of baptism. Mark wants us to catch this idea that water and chaos is something that needs to be ordered, that Jesus has come to bring order into the world. And then the next thing you see about and hear about water in the Old Testament narrative is the flood in Genesis 5 and 8. Remember, 5 through 8. That, that now it's not just chaos, but it's coming judgment for sin and wickedness, that God's going to cleanse the earth. And then if you move forward a little bit further, the next time you see a significant place where water is dealt with is when Egypt, when Israel is being delivered out of Egypt and brought to the, the Red Sea and they've got the, the Egyptians coming behind them ready to destroy them and God parts the water and delivers them on dry ground through the Red Sea. And so you see not only chaos and judgment, but you see impending doom and destruction if God doesn't rescue you through it. And so all that imagery is going on when you're hearing water. I think it's one of the reasons why Jesus starts at the sea in his ministry is to say, wake up, because when I say I'm going to make you fisher of men, I'm talking about dealing with the chaos and the brokenness and the doom of sin in this world. It's not just a pithy statement to say, no, I get your world, and so we're going to figure out how to use good lures and you know, good nets, and, and so that's just my way of connecting with you as fishermen. That's not it. He's speaking in light of the prophets, because not only were they speaking about water in that way, but whenever the prophets would speak of fishing throughout the Old Testament, it was always snatching people from the grips of sin. 
It was always rescuing them from the impending doom that was to come, or it was the other, you've been caught by sin and it's destroying you. And so when Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men, what he's actually saying is, we are here to see people snatched from from the chaos and the doom and the impending judgment to come if they don't meet Jesus, if they don't get rescued and brought into the kingdom of light, out of the kingdom of darkness. It is bad news. And so we are here to snatch them from the grip of evil and sin and brokenness. And the net, as it were, is a way of saying, hey, guess what? we got to go capture them. But it also is a way of saying, you've been captured. You're caught. And what's going on is Jesus is saying to the disciples, Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And when they throw off their nets, in some ways they're saying, we are following the one who can set us free. And we're following the one who can then use us to set others free from the nets they've been caught in, from the doom that's coming, from judgment that is absolute and certain. Apart from Jesus, you will spend an eternity separated from the God of, of all life. That's real. So I don't want you to hear become fishers of men. It's like, isn't that cool? Jesus just entered into their world and used their language. Now, this is a prophetic word that the one who's come to snatch us out of the chaos and the judgment and impending doom has shown up, and now he's going to call us to drop our nets so that we can join him in seeing others set free through us. Pretty powerful. So let me ask you before I go any further, what's your net? What's your net? What, what, What is hindering you from following Jesus? Because part of what Mark is trying to let us know is that Jesus was so worthy of being followed that they were willing to drop anything for him. Let me be clear. I'm not saying quit your jobs, leave your families. <laughs> I'm saying, is the approval of others caught you? Has love of money kept you from walking in freedom? Has your career become your primary identity and sense of significance and you feel enslaved to it because you can never, ever keep it managed enough? Or maybe you did, and now it's your source of pride, and you're just a slave to the idolatry of self-sufficiency. Maybe it's family. Love of family is so important that you can't do anything without thinking, man, this would cost us a little bit. Maybe it's the, I, I just need to have a friend. I just need to have a spouse. I just need to, uh, something I'm lacking. I, I, what's your net? What's keeping you from being free to follow Jesus. Because here's the thing. Jesus wants to call you to him so he can change all that for you. The thing I found found in my own life is whenever I lay down a net, it seems like Jesus then says, okay, now you can pick it up and do it the way you were meant to. Now you can live in that place in a way that's free, no longer a slave. Now you can engage in that part of the world in a way that you can actually find great joy versus feel completely crushed by it in despair or or worry or anxiety or fear. And what I love is Jesus, when he calls them, he doesn't call them one by one to follow him individually. He calls them as a fellowship. Two brothers, two brothers, they come together. The first four in Jesus, there's five, and later we're going to see eventually there's 12, and then groups of even 20, or 70 and 120, and, and you just see Jesus building this fellowship. It's those of you who are Tolkien fans, just like the Fellowship of the Ring, right? Like, we're not going to Modar, Mordar, Mordar, I, I'm not a geek so on that, so you guys got it. I'm alone, you know? Like, we're going together. There's a tr- journey we're on, and uh, ultimately Jesus will go to the cross alone, but his fellowship is the fellowship of the cross, Come with me. Come die with me. Come live because I die for you. Come enter into a fellowship. And the reason why I want to to highlight that is because I'm really convinced that Mark wants us to not miss the way of life that Jesus calls us into, and that is a life in community. It's a life that you can't become more and more like Christ if you live in isolation. This isn't about you having a personal quiet time with God and a personal walk with God and a personal relationship with God. This is about you having a relationship with God and others. In fact, you can't know how to walk in a way that Jesus wants you to be changed to be able to walk in if you don't understand that Jesus was in eternal communion with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And when he calls us to follow him, he's calling us into a community. He's calling us into a followership that includes others in our life. 
fact, if I could say it again, Tim already invited you into it, I want to encourage you, be in a missional community, be in accountability with a few others through a DNA group, which is like three guys that get together, study the word, pray together, be in each other's lives, get to know each other's hearts, same with the women. Like you've got you've to walk through this together. You cannot do this alone. In the very beginning, when God creates man, he says it's not good that he's alone, and he makes a helper suitable to him. And then he, when he creates a, a, a people, he makes a nation of nations. Like, it's lots of people God calls together because it not only displays what he's like, that he's lived in eternal community, but it's also how life is. It's together following Jesus. So Jesus calls them. They drop their nets. They leave their family, and they get a fellowship, and they get Jesus. And then Mark shows us how to answer the question that you might be asking, why in the world would anybody leave that for Jesus? Like, what about Jesus is worthy of leaving job or family for? What, what about Jesus is worthy of making him top priority? What about Jesus gives him the authority to speak into my life like that? And he goes on, verse 21. They went into Capernaum, which, by the way, was a pretty significant trade city, especially around fishing, and they... Fish were going all over the world from this area. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. It's important to stop here, pause a little bit, and explain. The scribes were the experts in the Torah in that day, in the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. And they especially were experts in its meaning and its application, which gave them a whole lot of authority, as you can imagine, since all the Jews were living their life based upon the Torah. So if they were saying this is what it means and this is how you live, they had significant power in that position as a scribe. And yet what's going on is Mark is recognizing that the people are listening to Jesus' teaching and they're saying he's not like them. He has authority that's different than the scribes. And the word authority here that Mark uses is a word that literally means out of the original stuff. Okay, some of you recognize the word. We'd say, okay, the root of the word authority is author, and it, this particular word for authority is that root, which would say the, the, the author of the beginning, the, the one who gave origination to the thought, to the idea. In a sense, what Mark is saying is the scribes have a derived authority because their authority is in something else, the Torah. Jesus has an innate authority because the authority is in him. Very different. Jesus is not standing on the authority of another. He's standing on the authority of himself. And what they're seeing and hearing is that Jesus isn't just taking teaching and doing it differently and more creatively or clarifying it in a way they'd never heard before, but basically he is showing up and saying, I am the authority on this. I am the originator on this. He spoke in such a way that they could see he was not deriving his authority from anything other than himself. That he had the authority of which the Father already affirmed publicly he had in his baptism because he's the Son of God. And so it's as if they're hearing the author of life speaking. The one who we know later, Paul says to the Colossians, is the means through which all was created and through which all is sustained and through which all will be redeemed. I mean, this is, this is the authority of the world showing up in the synagogue. Let me just stop and ask, do you submit to him like that? See, you would, you would make him top priority if you knew he was the top authority. You would do that. Because you all submit to whatever you think has the most power and the most authority in your life. Whether that's your boss, money, culture, a political race, you name it. But when you go on, this is the original. The author of it all. As he's called later, the, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what they're hearing. So you can see why. You would drop everything when he says, follow me. I wonder if we hear him that way. Does he have that authority in your life? And then immediately, verse 23, there was in their synagogue, and Mark wants to stop and go, let me just take it to another level. Let me just show you this power. Let me show you his authority. Immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Speaking on behalf of the demonic realm, by the way. I know who you are, 
the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. Now, it's interesting. First of all, we need to make a note. When Jesus overcame the wilderness experience of facing the temptation in, in those 40 days and 40 nights with Satan, most commentators say that was the, the binding of the strong man. It's like he went, okay, I got, I got him now. Now, ever the one of the rest of you, I'm coming to get your tail. It's like Tom Brady got taken out. Patriots don't have a hope, right? Got it? Some of you aren't football fans, so you've been here all every week for the last four months. The rest of you, you came back. It's good to see you again. Uh, it's, like, it's like Jesus going like, I've got it. And they're going, oh, no. We know who you are. We know what you can do. We wouldn't even exist without you because you're the author of life and everything that exists came through you and they recognize who he is. So they're like, oh no, what have you come to do? You come to destroy us? Now it's important, don't miss this. Where is the first exorcism in Mark's gospel? Church. The synagogue. The gathering of the people to hear the word of God taught. Now, don't, don't miss it. What Mark is trying to make sure we understand is that first and foremost, snatching people out of the nets of sin and impending doom is a spiritual reality that we're fighting. There's a cosmic battle going on for the souls of men and women. And what Mark wants us to see from the very beginning is the reason why Jesus not only has authority to speak the way he does, but power to set us free is because the thing that's keeping you entrapped is the demonic realms and the brokenness of sin that you can't even see and the realities that are unseen, the spiritual realms around us. In fact, the Apostle Paul later clarifies in Ephesians 6, 12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then Paul continues to go on to teach about the armor of God, showing that we're not only are we not fighting against one another, and it's not just a kind of physical battle, but there's a spiritual reality we're in that's constantly warring for our souls. He goes on to say, and these weapons are the weapons of God. It's the armor of God. It's the word of God. It's the sword of the spirit. What he's saying is not only are you not fighting in this realm where you can see each other and you think it's against one another, but you're actually fighting in a spiritual realm and the weapons you have aren't even yours. They're God's. God is fighting. God is fighting for you. God is fighting in you. God is fighting through you. He wants to rescue you from the demonic forces and the wickedness in this world. And that's what Jesus is coming to say. I'm here, there's power, there's authority. I can set you free from it. In other words, what he's saying is, not only follow me and I'll change you, I'll make you become fishers of men, but look at what I do to the demonic realm. Follow me and be freed. I can set people free. Now, the other reason I think that Mark starts, and I'm, I'm along with many others believe this, I'm not the only one, that the first demonic encounter recorded in Mark is happening in the synagogue is because Mark wants us to see how corrupt religion had become. He wanted us to see that religion, in a lot of ways, had just become another net. That, that these spiritual leaders were entrapped and they were entrapping others. I don't know if that's been your experience. Mark's narrative throughout shows us that the ones most opposed to Jesus were the religious leaders. It's pretty crazy. You know what I found? You can go to your church, you can go to church all your life and still not love Jesus. And in fact, this is a scary thing. I speak to leaders all over the world regularly. All of leaders pull me aside and say, today was the first time I put my trust in Jesus Christ and I've been serving as a pastor for 20 years. And I'm like, how is that possible? Because for many, Christianity is not freedom. It's just a new net that they're enslaved in. What Mark wants to see, us to see throughout his narrative, we see this later in chapter 9, verse 40. Jesus, the disciples are asking him, hey, there's guys preaching their, your gospel. They're saying the good news has come. What about them? Jesus says, Whoever's, whoever is not against us is for us. Now, I want you to hear that Mark is saying the opposite too. Jesus is saying the opposite, but Mark's capturing this. Whoever is against him 
is not for him. And what Mark is going to show us throughout the gospel narrative is that there's a whole bunch of people against Jesus. The demons and the religious leaders are in the same camp. That's scary. In fact, can, can, I, just, can I just take us back to verse 24 when it says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's possible to know who God is and still be opposed to him. Please hear that. It's possible to talk about God. It's possible to study God. It's possible to study the Bible. It's possible to be a professor at a seminary and still not know and love Jesus. It's possible to sit here every single week and hear Jesus preach and still not know Jesus, still not follow Jesus. In fact, if you've been caught up in the entrapment of religion that says it's up to you, it's what you do, it's what you've done that defines you, it's not up to Jesus, it's up to you, you better fix yourself, you better clean yourself up, then probably what you have is you have the net of religion giving you shame and guilt that you're living under. You, you just feel like I can't make up for it, I've done too many bad things and I'm, I'm gonna go to church and maybe it'll get better, maybe I'll feel better this week and, and I, I don't want anybody to really know who I am because if they knew me, then they reject me. And if God knew me, he must reject me. And you've been entrapped by religion. Because the gospel says, come to Jesus and your guilt is removed. Your shame is put away. He took it on himself at the cross. He died for your sin to forgive you so there's no more guilt. He said, come to me and I'll make you become fishers of men. Not come to me and work. Come to me and rest. Don't miss it. You're gonna see in a little bit, the stuff that Jesus is doing is right on the Sabbath. It's Mark's way of saying, you come to Jesus, you get freed, you get, you get changed, and he does it so you can enjoy true Sabbath rest. You can really, finally take the net off. Be set free. And I'm becoming more and more convinced that there's so many of us that are entrapped in religion. And Jesus wants to set you free from religion today. He's calling you to follow him so he can set you free to live for him. Now let, let me get this right. I want you to get this right. He's not calling you to live for him so he can set you free. He's calling you to him so he can set you free to live. And we get that one confused. We're like, man, I gotta work harder, I gotta do more, and then I'll then he'll be happy. No. Jesus, God loves you, not because you're good, but he loves you so he can make you good. So, do you understand the difference? I loved hearing Michelle Torres' testimony last week when she got baptized. And I, we've been, some of us have walked with her and she has served like crazy around here. And yet, more recently, she came to realize that some of that motivation for serving was to deal with all the, the stuff in the past instead of realizing it's already been dealt with in Christ and she's forgiven and she's clean and she's loved and there's no guilt and there's no shame. And when that dawned on her, I saw her, it was like something broke. It's like the net came off. It's like she got pulled out of the entrapment of religion. And, and even this morning I talked, she goes, thank you so much. I heard you mentioned again at 11 o'clock. I'm getting to know him more and I love him more and I'm even learning how to make Jesus the hero of my story instead of me because it's not about me. See, I want to back up when I said earlier, when you follow, you follow Jesus, not because you know everything about him, but you follow him so that eventually he can show you himself. Like it's a faith of follow before it's a faith of no. It's for some of us, religion, knowing more of the Bible has become your entrapment. You're like, until I've mastered it, God won't accept me. Wrong. He accepts you when you didn't know a thing. That's why he went to a bunch of uneducated fishermen to call him. Okay? That's how it works. The gospel is not dependent on you. It's not dependent on your knowledge. It's not dependent on your behavior. It's not dependent on you getting it right. It's dependent on Jesus Christ calling you to himself and you entrusting your life into the only one who can forgive you and set you free and change you forever. Man, when I know that, I'm like, yeah, I'll give you everything, Jesus. See, because here's the thing. When I know it cost him everything, then I want to give him everything. And when I know he set me free, truly free, then I want to live free for Jesus Christ. See, he's calling you to follow him so he can set you free to live for him. Maybe, 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 maybe some of you don't need to drop a net. Maybe you need Jesus to pull you out of one. 
Maybe you need him to snatch you out of your slavery. Maybe like the demoniac, the, the, unclean, the man with the unclean spirit. Maybe you've been sitting in a gathering week after week after week and you are hearing demonic voices saying, you'll never measure up. God will never love you. I'm gonna tell you that sin that you committed, that's the last time. Now you're out of his fellowship. You're out of his care. You're out of his love. And I wanna tell you, that's demonic. And I know that even in a place where we praise Jesus with our lips through song and I preach the word like this, there's still demonic activity going on in some of your lives where you're listening to the lies of the evil one. I want to tell you, stop believing in that and turn to Jesus who has died for your sins so that you might be loved and accepted and forgiven and brought into a new reality and a new creation and a new love that can set you free. I love it. that You can see why they miss Jesus, right? Where does he start? Fishermen. Where's the exorcism happen? Church. Right? And then what does he do? Don't tell anybody. What are you talking about? If you're the Messiah, tell everybody. Some of you will be going, well, why does he tell him to be silent? I'm not going to tell you this week. That's next week. So come in back and we'll see. Let's keep going. Then it continues, verse 26. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves saying, what? What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Side note, family, if the demons have the good sense to obey Jesus, we ought to as well. (laughs) They know who he is. They've known since the creation of the world who, who he is. Let's take a clue. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Don't miss this. When Jesus shows up, things change. People drop their nets, make Jesus top priority. Unclean spirits are cast out. People are set free. People are amazed at his authority. His fame is spreading everywhere. Follow Jesus and be changed. Follow Jesus and be freed. But follow Jesus and know that he's going to set you free to serve him. Let's look at the last part. Immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew, with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand. I love this part. Took her by the hand. He lifted her up. Do you know that there's a, one of, the, one of the prophecies about who Jesus would be tells us that he doesn't take a bruised reed and break it. He's gentle. He's careful. I love it. He's take her by the hand. You're going to see this over and over again. Jesus is very fierce to the demonic realm. And even the religious leaders who are entrapping people in an ongoing slavery to religion. But when he speaks to the broken, when he heals the sick, gives sight to the eyes and opens the ears, there's this gentleness. I want you to know that Jesus wants to gently enter into your life and restore you, heal you, take you by the hand, raise you up. And then it says, she began to serve them. Beautiful picture Jesus really does change everything because not only does the fever leave, but she immediately engages in serving. Now, now unfortunately, <clears throat> unfortunately, and this, I mean this, and some people over the years took this passage and tried to make the case from this passage that this affirms that women in particular are called to serve in the household more than men. That is an absolute misreading of the text and a, a fine case in missing the point. Okay, I want to be really clear. That's not what Mark is trying to make you come away with. In fact, just to be clear, the very passage that we read earlier where it says the angels ministered to Jesus after he had, when he was with the wild animals and being tempted by Satan, that phrase, the angels ministering to Jesus, is the exact same phrase that Mark is using referring to Peter's mother-in-law. In other words, she is now ministering to Jesus and to the disciples because of what Jesus did in her life. What, what, what I think Mark is trying to help us understand is that when you meet Jesus, who is the servant of all, and you reflect, and we're going to get there later in, in chapter 10, verse 45, when the disciples are asking him, who's the greatest in the kingdom? Remember what he says? 
It's not like the world. It's, it, the way it works is the greatest in the kingdom are the servants, the people who serve others. And then he even says, the son of man did not come to be served, speaking of himself, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What Mark is doing in this passage is he's saying, the kingdom of God broke into this house, healed this woman, and she now is getting the heart of Jesus. And she is now responding out of love for Christ, and she, just don't miss this, don't miss this, she is the first gospel minister in the, the gospel of Mark. Ladies, do you hear what I'm saying? What Jesus is going, what Mark is saying here is the world is getting turned upside down. It was all power and position with men in charge of everything, especially religious stuff. And the very first minister of the gospel is a woman. That is awesome. In fact, ladies in here, stand up. Be, I had a woman come to me a while ago and she goes, why are you always so challenged? You're always challenging the men. You're calling them great things. Call us to great things. So I'm doing it, okay? Ladies, if you've met Jesus and he has changed you and he's healing you, he is calling you to be a minister of the gospel. Don't buy into the world's thinking that you gotta be just like a man to be valued. You are a woman created in the image of God, set free by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be everything that God made you to be as a woman who is set forth in a place, in a particular time, to be a minister of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. Can you see why they miss Jesus? He chooses fishermen. He cast out demons in churches. He's against the religious leaders who are enslaving everybody. And then he makes a woman healed so she can minister to him. That's awesome. I don't want to miss that, Jesus. I don't want my culture to form a picture of Jesus that's not biblical, that's not in line with who he says he is, who he shows he is. And, 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 and let me just be clear. I know I spoke specifically to you ladies and I'm so thankful God's got you here and I pray that we do a way better job of affirming you and equipping you in the next season than we have in the last. We're gonna keep growing in that, valuing you. We need you like crazy to be ministers of the gospel here. Please know that. But men, he called fishermen. Don't you for a minute think he doesn't want you to be in the game either. He wants all of us to be set free to serve to be ministers of the gospel. If you're new to our church, I say regularly, I'm one of the elders here because I don't want this to be about one person. But I also say regularly, you are the church because part of my job is to equip you to do the works of ministry, to be the ministers of the gospel. We don't pay someone to do ministry around here. We free up some of us financially to equip the ministers around here, and that's you. Our job is to equip you to do the work. But ultimately, you need Jesus you gotta come to him and let him change you. You gotta come to him and let him free you. You gotta come to him and let him make you his minister, his gospel representative. And then look at what happens. I love this because the, the ministry shows up at the fisherman's location right on the sea. The ministry shows up in church setting the religious captives free. The ministry shows up in the home and it just starts happening. And then what goes on? That evening, verse 32, at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. By the way, little note, the reason why they waited till sundown is because the Sabbath went from sun, uh, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, so they weren't supposed to do any work or travel. Isn't it awesome though? And Mark's giving us a little clue here. Jesus doesn't stop doing ministry even when the law said, stop doing it. Later on, we're going to find, he's going to say, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what he's showing us is, even in their desire to keep the Sabbath, they weren't even resting. They weren't even loving. They weren't even caring for people. And Jesus is going, I'm here to enter into what you guys missed. I will be Sabbath for you. I will bring healing to you. I will bring rest to you. But they still don't get it, so they wait. <laughs> you think, man, they could have showed up a lot earlier. Might have made for an easier day for Jesus too, like wait till sundown, like he's probably wanting to go to sleep. But the whole city was gathered together at the door, and I love this, and he healed many who were sick. In fact, the language actually says he healed all that showed up. I love this about Jesus. He will not turn you away. Come to him today. He wants to change you forever. Heal you, set you free, make you new. And he healed many who were sick in various 
various diseases, cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. When Jesus shows up, everything changes. I could say it this way, all hell breaks loose. And then he binds it. And he casts it out. I love it. Jesus does amazing work. You need him. In fact, I want to just encourage you to ask the question, where's your faith today? Do you need to repent and believe in Jesus, the one who can set you free? And, and I just want to ask, what's the net that you might need to drop? What's hindering you from coming to him today? I'm telling you, there's nothing more valuable, powerful, and amazing than Jesus Christ. My, my hope is that you'll stop thinking there's something better and you'll drop whatever it is for him. Some of you are going, you don't understand, Jeff. This is my life. I am so heavy burdened, I don't feel free. I want to say, cry out to the only one who can set you free. Cry out to Jesus today. He wants to change your life. And there's others of you who are saying, I've already experienced dropping the net, and Jesus told me to pick it up and use it. For some of you, this is your job. God's saying, use your work. You do it for my sake. Do it for my glory. Realize that there are people all around you that need to see the kingdom break in through your life. Pick up your net. Become a fisher of men. Let the kingdom break through into your life so it can break through into the world through you. I don't know what it is for you, but I will tell you this. If you come to Jesus, everything will change because Jesus changes everything. And I pray you'll do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy of knowing Christ. I can testify personally, I didn't really know you until I got you. And Jesus, as you broke into my life, you continue to teach me more about how amazing you are. So Father, I pray if there's anybody who doesn't yet have Jesus, that Jesus, you would break into their life today, right in this moment, that you would call them, that they would hear you calling and they would follow you today. And Lord, for many of us, we have nets that need to be dropped. Show us what they are. I know we probably may not need to leave them necessarily, but we need to let them be second, third, fourth, fifth priority next to you. Become first priority, Lord, in our lives. And snatch some people out of the enemy's hands today. Some people need to be pulled out of the net of evil and brokenness. Despair, rescue us. And Lord, set us free so we can actually take the net you give us and use it for good. Please, Lord Jesus, come. Have your way in us. Change everything for us. We pray in your name. Amen.